everything technology from computers to mobile phones, TVs and the internet. Information you want, want all the help you need. Your Tech Life with Trevor Long. Well, welcome to Your Tech Life. This is Trevor Long live in Barcelona. Now, I'm here as a guest of Ford, I should say, uh, as a full disclosure there, um, for Mobile World Congress. Now, first and foremost, what on earth is Ford doing sending people to Mobile World Congress? Well, I'll tell you more about that later. In fact, we'll hear from one of their vice presidents at Ford um, in charge of engineering there, uh, Ken Washington. A great little chat I had with him uh, earlier today. But um, Mobile World Congress is a very, very interesting event. And... uh, I guess to set the scene, you probably remember my, my CES podcasts and the discussions Stephen and I had um, from CES. Huge event. And, and I have to say that on a footprint scale, you know, square meterage of convention floor space, you know, Mobile World Congress is huge. Um, it doesn't have the, the city-wide expanse that uh, CES has. It's just restricted to the convention centre itself. But it is massive. There are actually uh, eight halls in this convention center and obviously a hall can be as big as you want to make it but they are massive massive halls now when i first walked the floor of uh, of mobile world congress i got the sense that this is this is not a consumer event uh this is very much what they call a b2b a business to business event now i'll give you an example there are members of the telstra executive here for example um who would be meeting with uh network operators um people that that build mobile networks so uh, talking about um, uh, Ericsson and big companies like that that actually have the technology to build the back end and the actual towers and they're, they're the people that they're meeting with to do deals on the next rollout of the next generation networks or whatever it might be that's what um, that's what a Telstra of the world will do. It's not like um, CES where you know most of the floor is littered with gadgets that will make it into your arms or hands over the next year. I would say twenty percent of the exhibitors are here for that reason. But again, the deals are being done at a business level. So Samsung, Sony, LG, HTC, Huawei, uh, Alcatel, OneTouch. I'm just thinking off the top of my head of the companies I've seen. They're all here to to wine and dine and smooth. The telco operators, they, they want the telcos to pick up their device and, and list their device and, and, and stock it as, a, as an option for their, for their consumers. Um, that's the challenge that big companies have in terms of breaking through a market. So obviously, you know, that's why Samsung has such power. They, they have a huge range of devices. They have huge marketing dollars. Um, and that's a challenge that every other company is continually up against. Now, let's talk about the flagship phones in a, in a minute. But uh, outside of that, the the event runs very similarly to CES. Uh, you have a day of press announcements where um, all the companies get press in a room and tell them about their new phones or devices, whatever they might be, and uh, then you have the show opening. So today's the first day of the show, but I've been here two days, um, and the show goes for the whole week, but I'm, I'm leaving tomorrow. Um, it's not a kind of show you could really spend a lot of time walking around, I don't feel. I'm sure there's some great stories to be told, but for me... It's about the flagship smartphones and, and the and the mid-range smartphones the, that are coming out this year. So all of that to come, uh, I'll, I'll talk you through some of the offerings from uh, people like uh, Samsung and HTC. We'll talk about Ford and we'll talk about a few other observations here at Mobile World Congress. And I've also seen the good folk at Garmin and Garmin are proud sponsors of Your Tech Life. Garmin Satellite Navigation GPS Technologies, uh, great to have their support as always. And the, uh, the Garmin Phoenix will be out soon, so... We'll, uh, we'll check that out in a few weeks. You're listening to Your Tech Life. So, I mean, let's, let's not beat around the bush here. Let's kick it off with, um, with HTC. HTC was the, the first uh, event 
that I went to here in Barcelona uh, to have a look at what was on offer. Now, I'm actually sitting out the front. I should speak quietly. No, I'm sitting out the front of the uh, of the Mobile World Congress, Congress Convention Centre, mainly because there's 80,000 people in there and it's bloody noisy. Um, yeah, there's a TV, big screen TV in the background here, which is probably, you can hear in the background, but it's not that big a deal. Um, but it's actually quite nice. It's, it's a lovely weather and it's nice to be sitting outside. So I'm sitting outside and the reason I speak quietly is because I have in my bag here most of the flagship phones um, that are being announced, uh, that have been announced and um, not normally allowed off the stands. But because I'm doing a live cross on the Today Show, um, which you'll have seen already before I uh, publish this podcast, um, I've got them in my hot little hand. The, the HTC One M9 is the third generation flagship one device from HTC. Now, it continues the unibody uh, kind of all-metal construction from HTC with a twist because it's got a kind of this um, this stepped edge around it, and the uh, the silver back phone that I'm holding here has kind of a bronzed or gold edge. Now, it's the single piece of um, of metal, but I don't know how they do that, but it's it's got a different colour on the inside, I guess, and it's it's shimmered back to, to have that colour. It's it's just a sensational construction of a phone. Um, they've removed the, the, the dual cameras. They've enhanced the front camera um, for better low-light performance and basically better selfies. Uh, and, um, and overall, you know, obviously improved what's inside it. They've improved the cameras, but it is, for much and muchness, uh, evolution, an evolution of the HTC One. For, um, for the company I, I'm i going to tell you right now it's going to be neck and neck with Samsung but it's it's definitely a contender or, or a, you know close finish perhaps for um, best smartphone of the year because this thing's beautiful uh, I mean it's um, it's everything you'd want in, in a smartphone uh, but it has that great build and construction plus it's got those great speakers on the front and I've seen a lot of criticism of HTC this week um, for not innovating. Well, I challenge that and say, well, what exactly did you want them to do? What exactly could they have innovated? Now, the, just because a design changes doesn't mean it's innovative. It's just a different design. They had a good design. They had good construction. They've tweaked the design. And it carries the basically the family lineage of the HTC brand. I think it's a sensational phone. Um... It's probably going to be the first one, excuse me, that I give a good try to this year. Um, it'll probably be available in my hands earlier than a Samsung. But um, look, I, I, if you have had, had any interaction with the Samsung, sorry, with the HTC One, you will love this phone. Um, I know there's some some people I know that are, are big fans of the HTC. You will not be disappointed. So definitely a good quality contender from HTC. They also announced two other products, and I've got photos of these up on the website, uh, eftm.com.au. Uh, and by the way, no calls this week, obviously, because I'm sitting in the outside of Barcelona here. Um, but we have a few calls ready to go for next week. Um, the HTC also announced a thing called the Grip, which is a um, wristband, kind of a um, kind of a rigid look to it. Um, doesn't have that flexible kind of fitness tracker look to it. It's more of a rigid bracelet. Um, but it's a, it's an all all round fitness product um, in partnership with Under Armour, which is one of those big uh, fitness brands in in, in uh, accessories, uh, footwear, clothing, um, and they're using an Under Armour record, I think it's called, as their um, the kind of database of, of fitness uh, details. That'll be a good little product. I don't think it'll set the world on fire. The other one is the Vive, the um, the HTC Vive. Now this is a virtual reality headset. Now, crucially, unlike the LG and Samsungs that I've told you about in recent weeks. 
It does not require a HTC phone uh, for it to operate. It is a standalone headset that uh, plugs into a computer and it's in partnership with a company called Valve. Now, Valve do the um, games downloading service called Steam. Now, Steam is, uh, is very popular and it is... Um, this is a really groundbreaking thing because what HTC is doing is partnering with someone who can actually create great content for a virtual reality headset and bringing it to market. Now they, <clears throat> excuse me, they will have a developer version out in the next few months, and they reckon they'll have a retail version by the end of the year. That's a big call. They reckon it's more immersive because of the number of sensors that they have. There's a whole lot of claims they're making, which are you know big tier stuff. So it will be interesting to see how they go with that. It's called the HTC Vive. And I've got photos of that up on the website at eftm.com.au. Talking technology without the jargon. Your Your Tech tech Life with Trevor Long. All right. Now, next up was Samsung. And now, undoubtedly, they were were under a lot of pressure here. They teased a lot. We'd heard rumors that they were doing a metal phone. And they... Some would say they didn't disappoint. I would say they half disappointed because they went for a a beautiful metal uh, shell. So around the outsides, I'm holding the Samsung Galaxy S6. Now, there's two phones, the Galaxy S6 and the Galaxy X6. <laughs> the Galaxy S6 Edge. Now, the S6, obviously the, the primary flagship phone. Um, I'm holding it in my hands now, and it does, without, without question, have a bit of an iPhone look to the rounded edges. And the base of it, too, looks, looks remarkably iPhone. Um, but then kind of has some cut-ins uh, on the sides, which add to the feature set. But critically, on the back is glass. So the, the faux leather, the plasticky feel, is gone entirely from the device. It has a glass, Gorilla Glass back, uh, Gorilla Glass front, so theoretically all safe and sound. But I've got to be honest, the iPhone 4 had some kind of special glass, and it's still smashed front and back. So I worry that they're, they're asking for trouble here, and people are going to have smashed Samsung Galaxy S6s. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. The camera on the back of the Galaxy S6 bumps out a good millimetre, and it's... It's quite a huge bump, and it never, never therefore lies flat. Um, I think they're relying on people always wanting to have a, an accessory, a cover for it, which will obviously limit then, therefore, the, the amount that the camera sticks out. Now, um, before we get on to the S6 Edge, the apart from the design, they have thinned out the apps on this device. Now, what they've done is they've they've basically gotten rid of a bit of the bloatware, and, and you're only getting two pages of apps. Um, they still have a very comical look to the icons, but they have completely cleaned up the look of the apps, the design. Um, they've gone for um, for words instead of um, icons in a lot of places. They, um, they've gone for very simple menus. And I think all these things, plus they've gone for color coding, which is so your, your phone area is always green, your contact area is pretty much always orange. So you know what area you're in. Um, which is very, very useful. So, um, look, I don't mind what they've done. They've really cleaned it up. It is quite nice, but um, I need to give it a full test to understand whether all the the annoying pop-ups are gone and stuff like that. So we'll wait and see. It certainly has a good feel to it. It's very light to the point where it doesn't actually feel. The funny thing is the HTC One M9 feels still more expensive. And and why I say that is important is because you're paying a 1000 bucks for these things. So, of course, you want it to feel expensive i mean that's just that's just common sense i think and um and they need to be very careful that they don't undersell uh what is a really um a really valuable uh piece of kit uh anyway that's the galaxy s6 now that um we don't have availability in australia yet but i don't expect it'll be too long we'll probably get news on that uh in late march or april 
Now, following on from that, they announced the Galaxy S6 Edge. Now, you may remember me talking about, or may have seen online, the uh, Galaxy Note Edge. So, you know, the Note Edge had quite a large side on it, which um, which the screen wrapped around. Now, the reason that was cool was because you could do things like have notifications um, on the side. You could have, you know, a ruler there and stuff like that. Now, the Galaxy S6 Edge, both sides, so both of the long sides of the screen, actually curve round the side of the phone. Not entirely. It is a few millimeters of the screen that curves. And the rest of the phone obviously curves and tapers off from there. But the rest of the design of the phone is, is sensational, like the like the standard S6. Uh, it has a metal body, uh, beautiful chiseled edges, the glass back, which again adds to the quality. There's no doubt that they have ramped this thing up into sensational quality, and I'm really, really impressed with that. The, um, the, the S6 Edge feels lighter in your hand, probably because it's thinner in your hand, because the edges that you hold are narrower. Um, it doesn't make it any narrower overall, but the edges that you're holding are quite narrow. Um, and, and it really... I'm going to need to give this a fair go. When I was using, say, the internet and the keyboard came up, it kind of felt like the keyboard was weirdly wrapped around the screen um, because the keyboard is still the same length. Now, I don't think it has any effect, but it's just a weird sensational. So, yeah, an interesting one. I think it's beautiful. So, without question, they have nailed design. It's like they've just sacked someone and employed someone brand new to work on design because it's... um. It's pretty sensational what, what they've done with this phone. But um, anyway, more on that shortly. It's, look, it's a great phone. Um, I don't, um, don't have any questions that they'll do well with it. I think it will definitely do better than the, uh, the Galaxy S5, which I think was a, a distinct disappointment for them. Um, but so be it. It's, um, it's going to be interesting to see how it's, how it's reviewed because these things are great to look at. They are great to feel, and you can make a lot of judgment. And I do make a lot of judgment based on the look and feel of a phone. That's why I like the HTC One. Uh, and the iPhone, it's a beautiful phone. And these two devices, the S6 and the S6 Edge, both jump up in quality to to those standards. But I think it will be a battle closely fought with HTC. The question will be what they've done in the software and is it enough to make it a better user experience. The other thing that's really important about these things is the camera. They, they claim and they, they gloat and they, they boast about cameras, but are the cameras better? I don't know. We have to test them and see. Um, that's the critical thing that we'll, we'll know over over the next month or so as some of these devices get in the hands of reviewers and, and we start to see those reviews trickle through the internet. So very interesting times. A huge win for, for Samsung with these devices, I think. But um, only time will tell uh, uh, in reality how they'll go. Um, it's very, very interesting stuff. You're listening to Your Tech Life. And we do it all thanks to the good people at Garmin. Garmin Satellite Navigation, GPS Technologies, and Fitness Trackers are all the rage. And they've got a couple of great models uh, available. The Garmin Vivo Fit and the Garmin Vivo Smart. The Vivo Smart is a sensational, fully connected device that not only shows you your steps and your sleep and different things like that, but it also connects to your smartphones to show you your notifications and, and other things that are going on. Uh, with your um, with your phone, uh, Facebook, Twitter, email, calls, they're all there on your wrist uh, at a glance without having to actually get your phone out from your bag or your pocket, wherever it might be. The Garmin Vivo Smart is an outstanding fitness tracker. Um, well worth checking out if you're in the market, and you can check it out at garmin.com.au. Now, Ford. I am over here with Ford. Now, they announced a couple of things which took my interest. Now, the reason Ford plays heavily in this market is because they want to be seen as a technology company. That's that's what I hear from underlying kind of message. They want people to know that they are investing and thinking about the technology of your car, not just the, you know, 
going from A to B. Now, um, I'll bring you shortly an interview with Ken, Ant, uh, Ken Washington, the, um, the the Vice President of Engineering at uh, at Ford. But the two quick things they announced, and I'll put one or two of them up on the website shortly, but they, they actually unveiled a bike, <laughs> a pedal bike with a motor. So it's actually a kind of a electric, electric pedal bike. Um, and the idea of this was they want, they want to have an app that, that is about smart mobility. And they want you to be able to choose to go from A to B in the app and then have the app helped you get there the most efficiently. So you can choose to get there without with using less impact on the environment, with best best time, uh, with best distance travelled or the most exercise you can get. And it might say, hey, drive from here to there, park the car and then take the pedal bike out of the boot, the Ford pedal bike, and, and pedal to the train station uh, and then to catch the train somewhere and then get off and ride your bike to work. So it might actually suggest a, a multiple modes of transport within one journey. I think that's really cool. As I say, Sam's um, Ford are calling that smart mobility. I think it'll work well for them. Um, and, and it's a very cool little product. It's not like they're going to release a bike soon. Just calm down. It's not it's not a groundbreaking new product you're going to find at the uh, uh, Chatswood Cyclery or something. But um, but it, it was a good-looking product um, designed uh, with uh, Ford employees uh, entered a competition to internally design it, and they come up with these great-looking designs. You can check out the photos at eftm.com.au. Now, I'm going to sit down here. I'm going to bring you the, my chat with uh, Ken Washington, a, a delightful man who um, who's only new to Ford, joined in uh, August last year. Uh, and we talk about his, his history plus his vision for the future of automotive and automotive engineering. Well, we're here at Mobile World Congress and, uh, and I'm here with Ford. And um, Kenneth Washington is a man who has, when I was looking at your bio, I thought to myself, cars, it's not rocket science. But then you look at your bio, and you, you know your previous employer was Lockheed Martin, and that's um, that's space. You're dealing with some serious engineering there. What brings a man with your past, your your skills, your ability to to Ford? I'm really excited about being at Ford. There's so many things happening in the technology and innovation space for uh, vehicles, and this is a great place to to exercise those uh, ideas and innovations. Uh, we're making some uh, some amazing products with our vehicles today, and the vehicles we're going to make in the future are going to be even more amazing. and And uh, the things we're talking about today at the Mobile World Congress are. Are things that are going to affect people's lives and, and make a you know it's going to we really mean it when we say better world because we we think about mobility in a way that it'll allow people to to move and be mobile and to make have choices uh, and have great experiences. Uh, you're going to be able to touch the lives of, of millions and millions of pe- billions of people because it's, it's so it's exciting. such a such a different environment today. You know, there's the challenges of uh, of, of mega cities as you describe them. Um, you know, the congestion. There's there's the uh, the environment. There is there there is so many pressures on an industry like automotive to evolve. I'm not sure I've seen an industry evolve as much as automotive in just the last couple of years when you consider that it's gone from just being car companies building cars to being software companies really aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. It's and then we and we think of ourselves as a not only a car and a truck company, but we think of ourselves as a technology company and a mobility company because that's that's really how we see these technology clashes coming to the automotive sector. Uh, and it's creating white space for creating these experiences that people want to have uh, and they want to have choice and uh, it's going to be about more than just well what's the next car I can buy and how do I buy it alone as just me the consumer I think you're going to see all these different models evolve and mature where people are going to be 
making different choices about being mobile in, in particularly in mega cities uh, where options are going to be in front of them. And we want to be able to provide those options. Let's talk about one of the things you mentioned earlier at the kind of opening here for, for Ford was a little trial you're doing in London around data and how that can assist with insurance. And a lot of people have a kind of, you know, big brother feeling about data, but I'm, I'm more of a data can improve your life. It can improve what you get, whether it's through services and, and products and advertising, and it can also theoretically do things like save you money. So if your car knows so much more about you than anyone else because you drive it, it knows how you're playing the throttle, it knows how, how you're braking, it knows how often you drive, how fast you drive, where you drive, because it knows all of these things just instinctively. Sharing that data not minute by minute, you know, map based, but sharing that concept with your insurance company could theoretically lead to better premiums for people. Absolutely, and that's exactly why we've we've put together this uh, this experiment around uh, insurance, because we we want to see how could you actually turn that theory that you just explained into reality. And so there there's a way you could do it well, and and there may be ways you could do it less well, which is why before we take something to the market. We want to explore that space to figure out well, where where is the sweet spot. And so the idea is to allow you, the consumer, to build a profile. So because the data is not ours, it's yours. And if you've got the profile, as you move from car to car or insurance company to insurance, or if I move to you know countries or move locations, uh, or if I go on vacation and I want to rent a car, what if I had my little profile with me, yeah. and then I could I offer? The rental was a really great idea because you think about I go when I go to CS every year I rent a car, and they know nothing about me other than exactly. how old I am, that I'm male, and that I'm from Australia. Essentially, that's my profile. If they knew that I had a great record, that I was good with cars, that I drove smoothly, or quite the opposite potentially, um, I may well be helping myself get a better deal. So it's not just insurance; it's about everything we do with automotive, really. Uh, that's right, and I think what's happening is. It's that this, uh, this opportunity to personalize and inform services with data and analytics is happening in the auto sector like it happened in the computer sector you know, years ago. Do you look at the car industry, you're only new to it essentially, and think they missed an opportunity to, to move faster with all this? I look at my biggest gripe, I guess you'd call it, with, with the car industry is with these, you know, these infotainment systems in the center console of our car. You know, I bought a car five years ago and it was a good system, but it hasn't evolved since then because software upgrades aren't available and you know it's just you got to buy a new car to get a new thing whereas with mobiles and, and other devices we're so used to as consumers updating our technology that feels like a missed opportunity for car companies that are only realizing now yeah, well we're, we've we've realized that you need to be able to provide choice in infotainment systems and connected car and so we're we're capitalizing on that notion today uh, you know, with our new, with our sync system, you know, we were leaders in the field and we're going to continue that leadership by offering the ability to, to co- go into the vehicle and, and provide the kind of choice and, and dynamics and updates by having over the air updates with our new sync three system. We've got uh, the ability to bring a device in. We think about connected car in, in, you know, you can bring br- b- built in the vehicle, you can bring it in or you can beam it in. Uh, over satellite, so all three will give you the ability to keep it fresh. Yeah. Uh, so that opportunity which enriches the it enriches the car ownership experience really, because otherwise you're just left with this thing that you drive from A to B. But we spend again going back to traffic, we spend so much time in them. It is about enhancing that experience in the car. 
That's right. You, when you're in the car, you want to have the kind of experiences with your digital life that you have when you're not in the car. And in fact, you want to even have a better experience because the, your previous experiences in the car will should inform how the car rea- reacts and responds to you. And so this data analytics that that uh, uh, is 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 possible today is going to change how the experience in the car is going to be in the future. Because you can use it as well. Again, anonymously, you don't care about Trevor Long and how he drives. What you care about is that, you know what, Australians drive differently. And you can actually engineer not only the software, but the physical cars, you know. You have local engineers in different areas that do different testing. All this stuff helps Ford build better cars, surely, doesn't it? It'll help us build better cars. It'll also help us provide better services. It'll help us um, provide the options for mobility that people want. We, we know just from the first phase of our testing and our experimentation that not every mode of mobility works in every community. Mm-hmm. And so we're going we're gonna to learn even more about that as we continue to do our experiments. And as we create that learning, as we extract that learning, it'll tell us which, which experiences can we provide in certain communities. Because it's not going to be one size fits all. Because if you put the customer in the center, it's going to tell you how to design and tailor both your vehicles and your services to make that experience the best it can possibly be. How do you split the the teams that you have across the world? Uh, Are they split into uh, specific projects they work on or do they somehow collaboratively work together on on entire projects? Because it can't be easy being a global organization and having highly talented engineers, designers, software engineers, whatever they might be, in different locations around the world. How does Ford approach the the network of, of staff, including engineers? Well, we, we, we really approach it by leveraging our scale globally. And we have a global product development system for the design and development and, and engineering of our vehicles. They use common platforms across the globe, but tailored in regional areas to work for that region. And so that's the model that we use for our vehicle development and design and engineering. When it comes to innovation and technology, we really work across our global team as a cohesive, integrated uh, innovation ecosystem. And so our innovation teams in Aachen, Germany, Palo Alto, and Dearborn all work together to drive Ford Smart Mobility forward, where we're taking connected vehicle, we're taking an autonomous vehicle technology, we're taking mobility and data analytics and customer experiences. We're wiring all that together so that we can try out these, these experiments and then design new services, improve our products, and drive innovation in every part of our company. You would have read a stack in researching before you take on a role like the one you took on at Ford. Is it bigger than you thought it was going to be? Like in terms of when you, when you now look back at your decision to, to come to Ford, uh, is Ford a bigger, bigger beast than you ever thought it would be uh, in terms of that scale and, and that global um, growth and penetration they have? Well, I came in the Ford with my eyes wide open, knowing that I'd have so much to learn about the automotive business. And it's just been a wonderful journey, not only because I've been learning a lot, but it's also because I'm able to bring my experiences of how to do innovation and how to bring global teams together and how to do experiments and extract learning and uh, but apply it to a domain that's fresh, like the automotive sector. And it's just been both a lot of fun, but also it's been, uh, it's important work because we're affecting the lives of, of a lot of people in a, in a very positive way. 
last thing, which which always intrigues me with people in your kind of position, because you're you're working away in labs and rooms where we'll never see that there'll never be a camera in there. There there are things on whiteboards that you know we can't know about. But how many years away are you looking? Do you know what I mean? Like when you walk into your office and and you I don't know if there's an actual timeline, but when you look at projects there, these are not easy things to turn. These these are not things that happen overnight. So, you know, they've got the bikes here, for example. That's probably a reasonably swift process compared to turning a car around. But, you know, is it five years? Is it 10 years? Where's the timeline for you, you and your direct team? Our timeline is, uh, is, is very, very, it's variable. So we have projects that are fairly near term that are driven by technology. In, car, in the car world, is fairly near term months or years, two, though? Two to three years. Yeah. So we have projects that are two to three years away. We call them um, advanced engineering projects. And for those projects, there's a defined vehicle program that's waiting. And we've got dates, and we know we have to advance this technology to the point where we can hand it off to our global product development team colleagues. So there's a fraction of our work that's in that category. Then we have another fraction of our work that we call discovery programs. And they're three to seven years. And for those programs, there's not a vehicle program waiting. But we have some notion that this could be a really important technology. These mobility experiments, they kind of fall into that category, right? And then we have a third category of projects that are, I'll just call them exploratory. And they're kind of discovery, but they're beyond five years out. And they're things that we typically do in partnership with universities in partnerships with yeah, the government in some cases. They not only enhance the, the future potential for Ford, but, but in terms of future engineers and future, exactly. future ideas, get them out of the universities exactly. and into, it's, into the It's to transition those technologies out of academia. It's to bridge the gap between uh, fundamental research into applied research that we, need, we can use to, put into, to make our products better. Uh, but it's also exciting for some of our engineers to work on so they can actually see some of these new innovations coming up from the ground uh so so we have projects across that whole spectrum well it's very exciting uh, congratulations on the work that you and the team are doing and look i don't know maybe we'll be back in five or ten years looking back on the silly ideas that, that, that you had in 2015 it feels weird to talk about such a long roadmap but that's that's the life and that's the excitement of working at ford for you isn't it yes it is i i couldn't be happier we're having a lot of fun but we're going to change the world in the process Talking technology without the jargon. Your Your Tech tech Life with Trevor Long. All right, as you can hear, I am a little tired. It is a long day. Um, I'm going to say it's um, 4.30 in the afternoon here. Um, Had to get up nice and early this morning to continue coordinating um, what is a a, a difficult challenge, uh, coordinating a television segment, even though it looks like it's easy standing there. You've got to get the phones. You've got to get the, the footage of the phones. There's a lot of work to do, so it's been a long day. And we're here at 9.45 tonight to do the live cross into the Today Show at 7.45 a.m. Plus, you can hear me on the radio across the country during the week. And, of course, you are listening to Your Tech Life. Check out all the news and info as it happens at eftm.com.au. You can follow me on Twitter at Trevor Long, live from Mobile World Congress. Uh, I'll talk to you next week back in the EFTM studio. (laughs) 